How does a playwright craft a world very different to their own experience? How do we tackle class in our theatre storytelling? I'm Dina Dimitriadis. Welcome to the fifth episode of Staging the Nation. Welcome to Staging the Nation. We'd like to acknowledge the Darug people where we record this podcast today. And we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. As we stand in this complicated present, we look back through the contemporary Australian canon and shine a light on some of the writers that have grappled with the big questions of who we are as a nation and the complexity of presenting marginalised and underrepresented experiences. In this fifth episode in the series, I am very happy to be speaking with Mary Rachel Brown and we delve deep into her play, The Dapto Chaser. The Dapto Chaser is set amid the adrenaline, sweat and guts of the dog racing subculture. This play is about a family trapped in the pressure cooker of gambling addiction. When things don't go to plan, they're forced to gamble the most important commodity of all, their relationship to each other. The 2015 Griffin Independent production of the work enjoyed two subsequent regional tours in 2016 and 2017. Mary is the recipient of the following National Playwriting Awards, the 2016 Lysicrates Prize, the 2008 Rodney Seaborn Award, the 2007 Max Affords Award, and the 2006 Griffin Award. She was a writer on Betty Blockbuster for the 2020 Sydney Festival. Her play Love Letters has been in repertory at the Australian War Memorial for the last nine years. And her most recent play Dead Cat Bounds opened Griffin Theatre Company's 2019 season. Her most notable work, The Dapto Chaser, was commissioned and developed by Merigong, produced by Apocalypse for Griffin Independent, Glen Street and Hot House. The play was recently screened at Dendy Cinemas as part of Australian National Theatre's Lives program. Other works for the stage include All My Sleep and Waking, Permission to Spin, Inside Out, Deflator Mouse and National Security and the Art of Taxidermy. And there are many other film and TV credits to welcome Mary Rachel Brown. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to have you uh, here with us today. Um, you and I have a long history with this play. Uh, we do. I just said it's the gift that keeps giving. It is the gift that <laughs> It keeps. feels like that. It <laughs> is the gift. Um, so I actually produced, for those listening, I, I produced the Griffin Independent production that, that went on and became the gift that kept on giving. Uh, so it's, it's quite special to be sitting in this beautiful theatre talking about the play. But we also haven't really sat down and had a conversation about the play like we are today. So who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, it's been a long time between drinks talking about that play and you know you're so busy when you're actually involved in mm. getting the play from A to B that sometimes you don't have well, you, you don't have the opportunity to have those very reflective conversations when mm. once the train starts the train leaves the station yeah so something i've been asking everybody who sat in that chair there which i'm always very interested in is is the birth of the play that that moment when you go there's a play in this or there could mm. be a play in this. What was that for Dapto Chaser? 
Look, I'll be really bluntly honest with you. Merigong has this fabulous program, although I'm not quite sure where it sits at the moment. I certainly know they're a company that is so active in producing new Australian work. To their credit, I mean, they've added so much to the canon of work. And they put a call out um, for for writers to approach them about ideas to... They wanted to commission a work. Um, And they had a few teasers about possibilities they would be interested in. And they wanted works that spoke to the region. So they they were saying maybe someone might want to write a play that um, relates to the Aboriginal history of the area um, or... Um, be you know, the BHP association with the area and I think there might have been something about the stack. All of them weren't quite the right fit for me but they were open to other ideas and, and here's, um, here's the wild card of it that I have to admit. I knew nothing about dog racing. Mm. I'd never been um, to the dogs. I'd had seen that beautiful play Silent Partner by Daniel Keane um, and just wept when I saw it. It's on uh, It's on SBS too. If you get a chance, it's on SBS um, online. Um, on so demand. Th- on demand, yeah. sorry. So they wanted something, such a roundabout answer, sorry, but they wanted something that pertained to the region um, and I knew the dogs were in DAPTO. And, you know, I remember, you know, when I, I went overseas in my 30s and, and all around the world, people knew about the Dapto dogs. It has it has this kind of iconic reputation, and I knew as a playwright um, that there is something about the narrative of of, of simply a race, mm. you know, that begins somewhere, that has a middle, and has an end that has consequence, you know, um, and there's winning and there's losing in mm. in racing, and. It's inherently dramatic. It's, it's inherently dramatic. It has so many structural things, just a race. So I knew that. I also knew there were so many characters from Dapto, so I did mm. a lot of Googling. Um, and I I pitched it. Um, I said, I will go out there and I will immerse myself in that w- world. Um, and I, I love writing about worlds that I have to learn about. You know, if I just wrote about everything that was in my own backyard I, I wouldn't be a writer because I'd start to be very bored as would the people mm. watching and the plays um, and it's a world full of controversy you know you only have to open the newspaper to know yeah. that um, it's also you don't have to know much about the dogs to know that it has um, quite a strong Irish kind of heritage mm. big Maltese a lot of Maltese people involved in it a lot of Vietnam veterans um, and of course, it's it's very associated with class. It's a poor man's sport, mm. um, and and gambling, um, you know, I think is a universal kind of hot hot subject that I mm. knew I could mine and find great stories out of. Little did I know how much story I would get out of mm. going to the track. Mm. So much story. So Merigong say yes. And then you've got this opportunity. <laughs> Where do you even start? I mean, it, it is a world you had no knowledge of before starting this work or, or lived experience in this world. Um, how did you start? Well, actually, they didn't immediately say yes. To be honest, they said, because I think they smelt that I didn't really know a lot about the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so they said to me, if you write us a, um, 
you know, plot breakdown. Mm. And so I thought if I'm going to do that with any integrity, I have to go out to Dapto and hang out there. Um, so I did that thing that playwrights so have, often have to do, you know, I cold called the Dapto dogs. Um, and I went out there. Um, I was picked up from the train station by the president of the club, even though it's a four-minute walk, uh, and I said I could walk from the train station. He uh, he insisted he picked he he would pick me up. Um, I'm going to be really honest. And then he stopped halfway between <laughs> the train station and the club, which literally is about probably about a 70-second drive, and he pulled over and he said, is this going to be a good play or a bad play <laughs> about our industry? And I said, look, I'm, I'm not a journalist, so I'm not here to, to do some mm -hmm. big investigation on, you know, um, animal cruelty or, or, or baiting or... or um, cruelty to the dogs, I said, but I am not going to shy away from the colourful characters mm. and their dilemmas. Um, and from then, and then I went out to the club and I kind of met lots of people and a lot of the people out there called me this, I was introduced as this is Mary Brown who is going to write the book. <laughs> they just, and I kept saying, no, I'm, I'm a playwright, I'm going to write the play. And I remember one of them pointed to the actual track and he went, but how do you get all of this on stage hmm. <laughs> and and um and that indeed turned out to be the challenge so i suppose to and and i i went out there i hung out with people and in order to get their trust and get the real stories it's which i'm sure a lot of playwrights find um you can't just go out there and mine people Mm. and stick a microphone in their face and say, tell me, tell me, tell me. You, you know, I had to kind of hang out with them. Mm. I spent a lot of my commission on beer and gambling to be <laughs> one of them, you know, to... Mm. to um, and I... Yeah, I went to training sessions. Mm. Um, so that's how I kind of just really discovered there was a play in there. Um, mm. Yeah, and they became my friends. So I sort of became, I started caring about a lot of these people. Um, and the best thing happened to me, which can happen to, and you know, I think I was in my, I don't know, maybe late 30s when I was writing it. And I thought I was kind of incapable of being shocked by much, but I was shocked by stuff. Yeah. And that was really exciting for me to be kind of, and I was challenged about, a lot of my ethics mm. um, and a lot of my judgments. Um, and so it's it's ultimately a play of great endearment, mm. really. Yeah. Um, Did you find that th those people came and saw the play in, 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 in its many <laughs> <laughs> lives that it's had? Or? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you a good story. One woman... <gasps> I remember on open. I mean, I've never been so open, nervous on an opening night. I'm I starting bet. to stutter just thinking about <laughs> it because I, I did expose some stuff about the world of dog racing that I think would have been a little bit uncomfortable for certain members of, of that club. Um, and I remember on opening night, uh, you know, because you get to be invisible as a playwright, no one knows what you look like. Um, 
and I was in the toilet and this woman, this, this woman, oh gosh, it's, it's tough going, isn't it? And I said, oh, how, how are you going? She goes, oh, I can't stand it. It's terrible. And I went, oh, <laughs> is it, what, what is it that you, you know, you're having trouble with? She goes, that's, that's my brother and that's my father mm. up there. And my heart just went, she went, that's them. That's the stupid things they do. That's the silly mistakes they make. And um, th- it was kind of one of the most backhanded compliments I could ever get. Um, yeah, they did come along and and particularly in Wollongong, I think a lot of the DAPDO people came. I think in Sydney a lot of the Wentworth Park people came and the broader community that are interested in dog racing. But in Wollongong, we did get quite a few... We, we did get some audience participation yeah. <laughs> that we weren't anticipating. Um, yeah, some, some calling out during the racing mm. scenes and, you know, like animated engagement calling out, but, yeah. I remember at Griffin, people come coming to see it that you just, I've never seen at the theatre before, people coming in with, you know, full biker outfits. I just thought this is, <laughs> I've, this is not my normal audience. It was great to see the richness of audience that came to to see that production. Well, that's, you know, that's credit to you as a producer too, because I think, you know, we think when we talk about diversity in the arts, which is such a hot topic, we talk about, we talk a lot about um, ethnicity. We talk a lot about, um, you know, uh, sort of people's gender, their sexual preference. We talk about inclusion in terms of a lot of those things. We often forget class. And, and I think it, that's something that the DAPTO Chaser did achieve. It, it achieved diversity of class in the audience because I remember one night in the foyer, a, a guy, I was speaking to him and he was a dog racing guy. And I think he'd come all the way from, I don't know, somewhere like, I think he'd come from somewhere near Canberra, like Goulburn. And um, I said, how long since you've been to the theatre? And he said, I, last time I was in the theatre was, I think he said 1982 when he saw a Slim Dusty concert. So mm. I don't think he'd ever seen a play before. Mm. Um, so I, that was a real achievement for me, mm. you know. Yeah. I'd love to delve a little bit more into the play. You, you know, that you've already said that there is something inherently dramatic about the race mm. and there is a race that we, we do see in the play that is that is called and that has outcomes and that has very serious consequences. Mm. Uh, but also the, the play is centred on, on four characters and there is... Um, very strong function to each of those characters, and I just love—I'd love you to tell to me a little about the four people in this in this rich world. Right. Um, well, ultimately, you know, it's a f- it's a play about family, mm. and it's a play about how you relate to the the dominant culture that drives your family or controls your family, or you feel umbrellas your family. Um, and in a way, it's just set in the dog world. Mm. Um, it's a, and so essentially, if I was to sum it up, it's it's about a family where dog racing has become a, how they value, how they how they understand value, winning winning races, having great dogs, succeeding in that world, 
is in a way how you succeed in that family. And there's a black kind of sheep in the family who just, he just doesn't have it in his DNA. And so it's about, in a way, it's about his alienation and, and, and how in, in some ways he becomes quite a small person and he doesn't look for other things to succeed in or to find his identity in. And really, if I was to sum it up, the play's about his journey of how to do the complex thing of honouring and loving your family, but sort of walking away from, mm. from the culture that drives them. And it's a very tricky balance. And I think a lot of people find it in that, that dilemma in many different contexts. Mm. It's also about generational poverty. All the characters in that play are very um, oppressed by sort of generations of, of, of that being just ingrained that this is your lot. Mm. Um, and not being able to break away from it. Not being able to break away from it. Um, it's also about power relationships. One of the characters runs the club and he's very controlling. He has, um, he has a sort of financial oppressive control over the family. Um, and it's also about the, the, the father is an older man who's sort of like, the, I describe him as a dinosaur of the racing track. And in a way, he symbolises what's happening to the dog racing world. It's disappearing and he's mm. disappearing. He's dying of cancer, but he's holding on and he's sort of riddled with denial. Um, yeah, and then there's the middle brother who um, is addicted. He's addicted to gambling. He's addicted to the dogs. And he's addicted to the idea that that's the only way he's going to have meaning and agency in the world. Mm. So he, no matter how damaging it, it is to him, he cannot walk away from it, which is the tragedy of the play. Yeah. And I find your, your, your comment about it just happens to be set in the, in the dog racing world. Yeah. Something that, you know, I remember when I telling people I was producing the play, they're like, you're doing a play about dog racing. And for me, when I first read it, it had nothing to do with dog racing. It, mm. it had to do, as you say, with with gambling, with, with intergenerational poverty. Um, and it just happened to be in that world. But this, mm. the specificity of that world allowed you, in my opinion, to tackle those issues without painting them with broad brushstrokes. You know, and actually being able to kind of centre it on one family and 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 this crisis at the heart of it. Um, why why was it important for you as well to talk about to, to look at this this complex idea of poverty and class in Australia? Because I think there is a big intergenerational poverty problem um, that we don't talk about very well. No. Um, and I think, and I think, or even the people that are in in that poverty cycle maybe don't get to talk about it as much as they would want to because, what you know, the, what reference points do you have to look outside that world? Because people are ghettoized um, mm. often when they reach a certain cycle of poverty. You only have to look at 
um, the way some of our public housing is built, um, to know that. So I suppose it was to try and open up a, a broader conversation mm. um, about the damage it can do to people. Um, I mean, we always hear the stories about the tall poppies and the amazing people that break out of it. But I think the more mm. common story is the people that get young people too, you know, mm. and people of great heart and intelligence and potential that get locked into really bad cultures and cycles and decisions because of poverty. Mm. How do you think we get more work on the stage that deals with class? I mean, do you think inherently Australian theatre can tackle class, given that in in many ways the structure of theatre as well in, in many settings privileges those of a certain class to attend the theatre? Um, yeah, I think... I think we can tackle class. I mean, and, you know, dare I say it, there's always the argument that there's there's something that massages people's ego and ethics about sitting and watching a show that is mm. about a class that is not their own, they feel, mm. you know, and um, I think it... I think it boils down to, and thank God I found it in those wonderful people I met at DAPTO, but I think it boils down to the really simple ingredients of care and authenticity. If, you know, you can't write a piece about class as a, mm. an expose freak show of, you know, yeah. look at these people, or, you know, I think you've, you've got to... Um, uh, writer, you know, there's a little bit of yourself in every play, so you've got to give over to it. You've, you've got to. I'm speaking very personally because I don't know how to solve the very yeah. macro problem, but on a on a micro level, I think playwrights can approach plays that about class, about you know, and going walk, you know, trying to walk alongside people in their shoes a bit, you know, mm. like I really hung out at Dapto. Um, But, yeah, I, I think so, but I think a play is a play, you know. Mm. Like I'm not going to get all polemic about class. If you've got a ripping great story, whether it's about the aristocracy or whether it's about, mm. you know, people on the bones of their ass, you know, in Dapto, if it's a good story it's, and it's got story bones, it doesn't, mm. doesn't matter. Yeah. Speaking of story, one of the things that, that – I love and people always love about the uh, the play when they see it, and it's very apparent when you when you read the script, is that you, you have a p very particular solve for the dog in the play. What is that solve? It's not there. It's not there. <laughs> it's magic. It's invisible. Um, it, 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 well, there was more than one production. So the Wollongong yeah. production... The director had a muzzle, you know, the muzzles they put mm. on greyhounds and we used that. Um, but we got someone who's obsessed with mime and who's one of Australia's greatest mime artists to yeah. direct the second production. And, um, and, you know, it was really hard for the actors and it was really hard for you and I. Mm. And I don't think they'd mind us saying when we went in there the first week because... Mime is, you know, mm. you, you miss a beat or it's a bit clunky or you don't have exactly um, the right technique. Mm. It just goes to shit, excuse my French, but you've got to be so 
good at it and consistent across the cast. Mm. Um, and in a way, I remember it was a leap of faith for us on the first week of rehearsal to go, it looks shocking, but they will get there by third <laughs> yeah. week because, you know, mime takes mime takes time. Mm. Um, I thought about the in, – in Wollongong we discussed the idea of having a dog. Um, if anyone's built like me, I, I'm animal obsessed. So the minute I see an animal on stage – I'm kind of out yeah. of the play. I just, I'm just mesmerised by the animal. I'm wondering who takes it home or who, oh, does that actor take it home and feed it? Does the stage manager take it home? I just, you know, mm. could this, I mind it? Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah. I mean, it's also very satisfying because it is very much the fifth character in the play. It's it's mm. it's present throughout and, and obviously on the strength of how the production deals with the device as to how present it is. Um, but it's what made you decide in the first instance to include it as a, a, a character in in the action on stage rather than just something talked about, something that was alive in the room, however it was realised? I, this, I hope this doesn't sound too sentimental, but from the very beginning of the play, it's the one entity on stage that everyone shows love to mm. and tenderness and affection and that everyone has hope in and and this family like they're at each other's throats and it's in some ways nearly necessary because it's the only time you get to see the sweetness and the softness in them all because they can't give it to each other they're two at war Mm. um and i think i was also just fascinated with the idea of this entity that holds so much um power Mm. and they've really got no control over it Mm. but all their hope and all their money and all their time is going into this this animal with a small brain that is running a race and doesn't have any idea whether the the house has been mortgaged on it or you know it's like oh yeah and yet there's that beautiful line with (laughs) says you know it's my heart and soul on four legs you know the the, the stakes of what's what's yeah. you know what's at stake with this potential loss is is and I don't want to ruin the play if anyone hasn't read it but uh it is quite potent hey let's widen the lens a little bit uh there have been several productions it has toured I'd love to talk a little bit about regional audiences because often we you know often works in particularly works that produced in Sydney mm-hmm don't get many other lives, um, often don't even get a second production, don't yeah. even get a second season, a lot of the works. Uh, you've seen this work play in a number of different spaces and to different audiences in the regions. And I'd love for you to talk a little to what that experience is like, seeing your work travel, but also what you've learned from the audiences in various regions watching Dapto, Chaser. Yeah, right. Um well, it was great to have it go regional because it's a regional story, yeah. you know, um, and there's a lot of tracks out out that way. Um, there's also, um, I think it spoke to a lot of culture in the in the regions, which is about, um, you know, particularly to farmers about, because the play is also about how men talk to each other mm. um, and... Um, how they don't talk to each other and how they deal with um, pain and 
um, financial hardship. And so I think those things really hit home. Um, it got a really warm reception. Um, and I, I, I don't know, we had lots of... We had, you know, so many interesting people. Remember that night we had the policeman? And, oh, yeah. And there was a Q&A and a policeman got up and... St- and kind of, he was a retired policeman and he got up and he kind of gave a forensic report about how accurate he was and that he had dealt with these people. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there was a real spirit to it, I thought. There was a real, I mean, in the cities as well, but it, yeah. it was lovely when a regional play plays to a regional audience. It, you know, it was, it was extraordinary to watch this, you know, places like Wagga where you feel the play is really at home. Yeah. Uh, to an audience who understands the richness of this world. Yeah, and it, and in regions sometimes you can go to towns that are quite small and you're getting a small audience and there's something amazing about that too because you can have, you know, not a lot of people in the in the house, but they all know each other. You know. Yeah. And so in a way they they have more intimate conversations about the work because they've they've got rela- people know each other in country mm. towns so they've all the conversations already started um, in terms of of how they communicate with each other so they get right in there and um, talk about it and the thing that happened in the regions which didn't happen as much in Sydney although it did happen it was like the Kevin Bacon syndrome, you know. Everyone came up and told their story about my second cousin twice removed or my grandfather <laughs> yeah. had dogs or my brother-in-law mm. has dogs mm. um, or I, I've got a retired greyhound, so, yeah. It was familiar, much more yeah, familiar. I think so. Yeah. One of the things that continuously has come up with this play for what people have said to me is, I can't believe a woman has written this play. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm saying this because it's literally verbatim what, peop, what people, person after person, said to me. There's obviously a lot of important conversations we're, we're having in our industry and have had about um, f- female artists, female identifying artists and, and, and female writers. Mm-hmm. But what, what, was, what have been some of the barriers for you, more, more broadly, but also quite specifically to, 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 to Chaser, have you had that reaction too from people that a lot of this, what is described as a man's world, greyhound racing, that you've entered this world and written this story? Totally. Um, and it was a tricky thing because I, I wrote the play when I think we're at a really, um, I don't know, a really dynamic sort of stage of... of um, people talking about women writers getting Mm. more of a voice, female actors of a certain age getting more um, roles on stage. And so in some respects it was complex for me because I remember when we announced the Griffin season and I got interviewed um, predominantly by female journos, which is fabulous. Mm. Um, One of the first questions they would always ask me is, why are you in this point of history writing a play about four white men? As, mm. as a woman, um, my first response would be, would you be asking me that question if I was a man? Mm. And I don't, you know, no one asked Neil Simon, mm. why do you write for some women so mm. predominantly? I mean, it, it, 
So that kind of got up my nose. I think the, the female perspective on men is interesting and I also think people were, you know, I did, I did get people kind of interrogating me a lot about it and I go back to the, the element of class. I think people were looking at it from a very narrow prison of, oh, we've got four white men on stage. Yeah, we've got four white men that are going to bring an audience that don't come to the theatre and that are going to create... Um, some diversity in the audience mm. um, and maybe, you know, some men that wouldn't necessarily be represented on stage that often. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think as a writer you... You're writing... I mean, it's, it's, it's inherently polemic but it's also inherently emotional and spiritual mm. And um, the, that world is, is, lives on such an exciting and terrifying knife edge that Nellie kind of overwhelmed the politics and it became a very human story that I became... My heart became more involved than mm. my head in some respects. So I wasn't slicing it up into mm. um, demographics, um, I suppose. But it's tricky, you know, and um, and I th and I, I did ask myself lots of questions about the opportunity to write that play and my responsibility as a female writer to write female roles. Um, I have a good ear for men, mm. <laughs> you know, and I write really well for men. I grew up mm. in a household that was predominantly male. Um, and I think all those things contribute to me going, I, I as a female have the muscle to know how to write for men. And I think that's, you know, the other, the flip side of the coin is you don't necessarily see a lot of women writing a play for four men, mm. you know. So that's a very scrambled eggs answer to that question. But No, 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 it's a great answer. Do you, you're saying that now you're more conscious of... Do you find now in your playwriting you are more conscious as to what characters you're writing and 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 the gender balance in your in your characters? I mean, ultimately you're going to write the, the story you're going to want to write, and that, yeah. But yes, I am. Hmm. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's always a tension between you know where the art pulls you in the time you live in. Hmm. And why you've got to question why is it pulling you in this direction? Is it because you have some inherent bias, mm. um, and and that has to be examined? And I do, and it's mm. an ongoing process. Mm. Um, Let me ask yeah. you: I've never. What do you love right now about the state of Australian theatre? Oh gosh, that's a big question at the moment, isn't it? Mm. I think it well. Could I, could I say what I feel is hopeful about the state of Australian theatre right now? Absolutely. I think we've had a real kicking and I think for a lot of... I mean, it was interesting because I think COVID for a lot of people... Um, of course, I'm going to talk about the COVID yeah. impact, but I think for a lot of people it was so shocking for a lot of artists. They went, wow, we really stand in the Australian psyche and in the we, we really stand at this level. Mm. The you know, arts. There's, there's the arts. There's really this amount of disinterest and engagement 
with us is in terms of how the arts was funded and looked after during, you know, that mm. time um, as opposed to sport. I mean, it's a very well-worn argument. But I also think that that creates, as painful as that is and as unjust as a lot of it is, I also think it opens up an opportunity for us to go, well, why is there this gap? Why aren't we reaching so many people? Why aren't we engaging with people? We have to take agency and responsibility mm. about that as well, I think, and, and question our, interrogate ourselves. Um, I think it also is a time, there's been a time of reflection and I think I'm, I'm very fond of, you know, uh, the story being central and actors being central and the words being respected and looked after and and I think maybe there's something about this time that will bring us back to the bare bones of mm. of um, no thrills theatre. Um, there's the potential for the potential for that. Um, I'm also excited to see the support that's been given to young writers at the moment. Um, you know, when I started writing, there just wasn't that engagement mm. in young careers, and I, I can see it happening, and I just think it's so exciting, and it's going to contribute to such a rich canon. Mm. Um, I'm also think that there's so much a push to have diversity, you know, and particularly in our writers and our actors. And I think that's a good thing. I th mm. I'm going to be bold and say I think it's a shame it's not um, trickling up to the top, yeah. uh, the top, the, you know, the um, hierarchy of our theatre world uh, is still very white and very male and privileged and very talented in the same breath. I'm mm. not, you know, mm. but I think... Um, but that for the change to actually be deep the structure yeah, has to shift i i think so mm. um totally so but i think there's an awareness of of that now mm. i don't know if we could be having the conversation we're having now 10 years ago mm. or six years ago even like there wouldn't be the platform of understanding just to jump into what we're talking about now which is um representation mm. um, that reflects, you know, reflects a, a truer uh, version of who we are. I mean, J Jesus, we only started speaking in our own accents on stage here in hmm. what? It was the, I think it was the late 50s. Mm. So we're getting there, but boy, it's slow. Mm. Do you think... Do you think slash are you excited by the state of Australian storytelling? How many Australian stories we're seeing on our stages? Do you think we're moving in the right direction? We could be doing better. How do you feel about that balance? Um, oh, look, personally, and this is just a, a, um, a taste thing, I'm, I'm glad we've kind of managed to wriggle ourselves out of... There was At one stage, there seemed to be a lot of adaptions of European works. and mm. uh, So Australian writers were lending their talents to adapting European works and there seemed to be just so many of them. So I'm glad we've kind of um, 
started adapting some of our own, you know, novel form work. Mm. Um, there seems to be a lot more of a, a relationship between adaption and our own novelists, which I think is great. Um, I think it's really exciting. I think, you know, credit to Belvoir who really, I think, um, got the the ball really – the ball was rolling, but they, you know, God mm. – thousands, sixty thousand years of culture, you know, but 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 sort of put put Aboriginal um, and mm. Indigenous stories for forefront, and I think mm. that's just grown and grown, and the sophistication and um, you know, integrity and mm. and and just the amazing work that's coming out of Indigenous writers and the the stage, the space on stage it's been given is a great thing. Um, what was the question again? I've forgotten. About the balance of Australian stories with, with other works, other international works, mm. canon works, um, whether you feel we're moving in a... I think you've answered it, but it's... Um, you know, there's always a question. There's there's always questions around playwriting in this country about that balance. Yeah, there's also, you know, I'll be controversial here. There's also a kicking that Australian work, new Australian work, gets that mm. um, other work doesn't. P- particularly on, on a polemic, you know, mm. uh, you know. Oh, God, I'll be, I'll be giving a, given a bit of a bollocking about why I um, write for four men, but, you know, there's a lot of rape and there's a lot of <laughs> violence in the, in the opera, but, and mm. there's a lot of, you know, mm. there's a lot of punchiness and cross-dressing and, and mm. sexism in Shakespeare and things have context and I understand that, so I don't have an issue with it and mm. I understand the context of when they're written and I understand the context of sometimes the way that misogyny or sexism is being presented. But sometimes people are, are less inclined to put that lens of con- sort of context when they're criticising mm. new Australian work. Mm. Um, and I think at the moment we're in a really interesting time because I think... It's a very, you know, there's so many things that are bubbling up to the surface in terms of gender politics and race. And I think as writers, sometimes we've got to write things that are uncomfortable. Mm. I think the, the writer's job isn't to tell you what to think. It's to ask, the play's job is to, t- to ask you how you think and whether you want to examine that or not and and I think um, you can't do that if you sanitize things so I do worry sometimes that um, I don't know how can I put it you know that I want to write about misogyny on stage because there are misogynists in the world but you know every now and again people will say oh that's you know you can't say that or that's not nice or well, they're saying it on the bloody work site. So mm. if I'm to write a work of authenticity, I'm going to say it in my play and it might be uncomfortable, but we don't want to 
um, sanitize things. Mm. You know, I still want to get my hands dirty and mm. present things that are uncomfortable. Right. Challenging. Let me put you on a spot with a final question. Okay. Uh, what's the biggest thing you learnt about yourself writing Dapto Chaser? <laughs> this is going to make me laugh because we had a conversation about it once. Um, I suppose that I could write traditional structure. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always have trouble with um, structure. I'm very good at characters yeah. to the point... And, and great with line writing, great with dialogue. Great, yeah. yeah, but to the point where I'll go on a safari and there's no play. It's just like talk, 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 <laughs> talking, talking. Like it's very clever and funny, and but it goes nowhere. But with this one, I think I wrote a very classic structure, and and I wrote, wrote a very classic linear narrative, and that's hard. And I didn't mm. know if I could do that. And I'm I'm very proud that the play sits in mm. that. Um, genre of you know n- l- you know forward linear natural mm. naturalism well, yeah. structured yeah. yeah great well on that beautiful note thank you so much for having my pleasure this I hope chat. it made sense made so much sense thank you Mary Rachel Brown thanks for listening to Staging the Nation if you enjoyed our conversation please subscribe to our podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Station the Nation is a production of Riverside's National Theatre of Parramatta, produced and recorded at Riverside Theatre's Parramatta. Executive producer, Joanne Key. Producer and technical director, Daniel Holsworth. Composition, Mealy Hay. Associate producer, Kara Woods. Host, Dino Dimitriadis. And this week's guest was Mary Rachel Brown. Thank you to the Australia Council's Resilience Fund and also City of Parramatta, Create New South Wales and Riverside Theatres. And of course, thank you to you all for listening.